Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Now on today's episode, we're excited to be welcomed by Drew Baldrich. Now he grew up more of a sports and farm kid back in small town, Illinois. It wasn't until after high school that music became the focus. He moved to Nashville to chase his dreams in country music. And ever since that time, he has been building a career in country music. We had a great time talking not just about music, but also about the role family has played in his journey, including a very special relationship with his grandpa. So please enjoy our conversation with Drew Baldridge. You grew up in a small town. When's the last time you had the chance to play very close to home? Oh, man. I don't know when the last time was like super. Oh, I guess we played this this last summer. We played a show in Mount Vernon, which would have been like 45 minutes from my hometown. Okay. Uh, it was awesome. You know, we had a couple thousand people and we were all out in like a, you know, it was like their fall festival. So it was a big open field and everybody's just having a great time. And um, when you're looking out in the crowd and see people that you grew up with and people that have been supporting you since day one. And I honestly believe that you know, without my little hometown area there and the couple hours around it, I don't know if I would still be here. I don't know if I would have left. Just the support that I had there was so incredible. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't take that for granted, like to know that I have their support and everything that I've done and everything that I will do. It just means a lot to me. Back when you were growing up in that small town, what did life look like for you? Was it just a lot of time outdoors, a lot of time around music as well? Yeah. You know, so I grew up, um, my grandpa had a farm. So I spent all my summers majority. If I wasn't mowing grass, I was on a tractor, you know, cause I had my own little mowing business and I did yards all around the local area. My mom let me, you know, probably I wasn't even old enough to drive, but I'd hold the, I'd be 15 and I'd have a trailer on the back of the truck and be driving uptown cops. You know, we only had a cop on Wednesdays, so it wasn't <laughs> a big thing. You know, I mean, I'm from a town of 550 people, so we didn't have a whole lot there. Right. Um, but yeah, man, it was a lot of time out time a lot of time outside. And, and, uh, you know, my brother, he was a couple years older than me, but we had, a we had these old railroad tracks behind our house and, uh, all the, all the tracks were, were gone. They removed all the tracks. So it was just like a gravel driveway and, and it was like this long thing. And it kind of connected all my buddies from all over the whole, uh, whole little town there. So we'd all meet back on the railroad tracks on our four wheelers. And we all had our own little trails back in there and ramps and, you know, try, Hey, there was a mud hole. So-and-so got stuck in it. I bet my Honda can go through that, you know? And it was just, it was just a lot of that growing up. And, and um, you know, I really believe I had a lot of people ask, so, so what makes you sing country music? And it's like, man, it's all I know. You know, this is the life that I grew up doing. And, and you know, then that turned into girls and, and high school and, and sports. I played a lot of baseball and basketball and did a lot of traveling with that. Um, but man, to be honest with you, music didn't play a big, big role in my life. I mean, I always did talent shows. Um, I sang in church, but besides that, like our school don't even have a music program, you know? So it right. wasn't like I could sing in the choir. Like that didn't exist. It was like, 
I did it because I loved it. And I played piano in kindergarten. I said, mom, that's a girl instrument. I ain't going to do that. You know, now looking back, I was like, man, I wish I would have stayed with that a little longer. Um, but I picked up a guitar at 16 and, uh, started realizing like, wow, you know, people kind of like this girls kind of dig this too. You know, this is pretty cool. And I had a buddy in my class and he played guitar. So we just started going out and playing acoustic shows and the local bars when we were 17, still in high school, you know, I think we had to look at some legalities or whatever that'd be, whatever that word is, you know, like, Hey, can we, are we allowed to do this? Like, right. Nobody cares. We're in this little town. Let's, let's try it. So, you know, that quickly turned into where we couldn't fit anybody in the bars anymore. Like on our Saturday night, when we played me and him, um, we couldn't fit anybody more. So we moved over to a bigger venue. Then we couldn't fit anybody else in that venue. And it just kept growing from there. And then I ended up moving um, to Nashville at 19. Right yeah. Before I, we get there, there's a lot to uh, dig into before we get to the Nashville part. Now, as far as singing goes, talk about the influence of your dad and what he meant to your progression within singing. Yeah. So my dad sang in church. And so that, that allowed me to sing in church too. You know, he, he was a big fan of all of the, uh, quartet kind of music. So Southern gospel, I guess is what you'd call oh, it. Okay. Like, the Gaithers, the, uh, his favorite was the cathedrals. So I could sing you about every cathedral song that you don't even know exists, but I could probably <laughs> sing them to you. And, uh, you know, you had a bass singer, you had a tenor, you had, you know, the guys harmonize, all that thing, all that stuff. And so when I was probably about 15 or 16, I was in a quartet with my dad and, uh, two of, uh, two of his friends that I really looked up to too. And we would go around local churches and we'd sing, you know, all these songs. And I was kind of the bass singer of that group. And, you know, to be honest, we didn't really know what we were doing, who was bass and who was what, you know, we were, <laughs> right. all, we were all just singing melodies. Nobody could really harmonize except my dad. And I just really looked up to him. You know, I learned everything about singing from him. Um, we'd ride along in the truck and he'd put a tape in of the cathedrals or the gaithers and we'd sing along to church songs on the way to school and on the way home from school. And, um, you know, those are really special times that I would hold. And I remember him turning it down. He'd say, no, you're sharp or no, you're flat. Like, that's not the note. Listen to this, listen to this. And, um, you know, just learned a lot about singing from him. He was very, as much as he doesn't know it, you know, I looked up to him a lot, um, musically. I mean, he didn't do anything with his voice, but he was so good. I remember just watching him sing at church and be blown away. Um, you know, he would sing the anchor holds by Michael Bolton was another big song because he lives was another one. He always used to spank sing specials on Sundays and I would record them and I'd listen back to them. And, um, they're just, they really hold a special spot in my heart. That's awesome. And you mentioned your grandpa had a farm down the road. Now talk about his inspiration. I know that he was a big inspiration for you growing up and a, a very important person in your life. Yeah. So my grandpa, um, sorry if I get a little choked up. Um, you know, he was kind of the, the pedestal of like the, the center of my whole family. And, um, I was the baby of, of the family and I had an older brother and, um, a couple older cousins that also worked on the farm that we were all like brothers. And, um, you know, I just learned a lot about hard work from him and, um, it takes a lot of hard work in this business. Like people don't realize what work is in this in this industry they think they see you on stage for you know 45 minutes or an hour and that's all he does and it's right. like if you only knew what it took to get to those moments you know and um 
you know, I always try to treat it like that. This, this life that we live, there's so many in, in music, there's so many breakdowns and there's so many ups and there's so many downs and there's so many times things are working and then your van breaks down out on the road or like you think you're going to get a record deal and then you don't, you think you got a song cut by another artist and it doesn't happen. And it's kind of like farming, you know, well, farming with my grandpa anyways, cause he was like, we only had junk. Like we never had anything good. And uh, he, he was really good about fixing stuff, you know? So it'd always be like, we'd be in the middle of the harvest and, you know, the freaking tractor would break down and we'd spend a whole day working on that tractor and figuring it out. And that's just kind of how, you know, music industry kind of goes. It's like, you gotta, you gotta fix the breakdowns, you know? And, And, and I know that sounds crazy putting it to farming, but, and, I guess poor farming, not like the real <laughs> farmer got the nice tractors and combines. But for us, it was always like you found a way, you know, you find a way to make it work. If it was with duct tape, if it was with bailing wire, if it was with, you know, some little makeshift part, but you just made it work. And, and that's kind of how I've treated my my career in this business is no matter what, you just make it work. You know, you figure it out. You If you don't know what you're doing, you dive in and until you do know what you're doing. And um, I learned a lot of that from him of just hey, you got to get up and you got to, you got to work. You got to keep going. And um, yeah, so he's definitely a, uh, he was definitely like my biggest hero for sure. And I know that growing up, you mentioned playing ball when he would see you in the paper. I know, I believe he'd call you and uh, just tell you how proud he was of you. And so when you moved to Nashville, did that continue when you hit big milestones? Was he one of the first people you would call? Oh yeah. He was kind of the one that, uh, kept everybody kind of together. You know, he'd call my brother, he'd call my other cousins and then you'd call my grandpa. If you needed to know anything about the family, you'd call him. Cause he'd have, he knew what everybody was going, whatever, what was going on, you know? And, uh, you know, we always worked on the farm for nothing growing up. It was just kind of, Hey, you know, you get lunch. It's kind of how it works. You know, grandma's making chicken and, uh, that's just kind of, that's how it was. You work for nothing. But when I moved, when I moved here and I didn't have, you know, sorry. No, it's all good. No, take your time. It's all good. Can tell how much he meant to you. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't talked about it in so long. Um, You know, when I didn't have any money, he would, he paid my rent a couple of times. And that meant a lot to me. Whew. All right. I'm done with that. Um, but that meant a lot. You know, I didn't have any money. I had to sell my truck. <laughs> and uh he took care of, of that, you know. And so that was that was a big deal. All right. I, I hope All those right. are happy tears. I hope they're yeah. happy tears that we created. Yeah, they are for sure. Well, let's move on to some uh, maybe less emotional times. And you mentioned <laughs> uh, you mentioned some talent yeah. shows growing up, but I wanted to ask you about some specifically that I saw you mention on social media. So there was one at eight years old, I believe, singing Michael Jackson in a talent show. 
There was performing as Elvis for your Christmas program in grade school. And then there was 12 years old and singing Grease Lightning. I believe at the demolition derby that you actually like rolled the car out and performed on the car. So back then, as far as the music went, was the performance side of it a big deal for you? That was the biggest. Yeah. You know, a lot of those talent shows, I wasn't, uh, I was just lip singing, you know, and I was dancing to most oh, okay. of Okay. And, you know, like Grease Lightning, I would do all the acting, you know, like John Travolta. And we had this old junkie car and I'd have all my friends dancing around. And my mom would help choreograph all the talent shows and we would go out and do them. And, um, you know, that was that was kind of where I got my performance bug was just being in front of people was was those was dancing and not really so much singing at that time. It was just performing, making people smile. I always love I always love being in front of people. And, you know, from that young age that was a uh definitely my mom pushed me a little bit into that of like hey you know i, I choreographed this and what if we got your friends walking around as monsters and you're like doing your thing in the middle you know and so i'd go out and do that and it was it was a lot of fun and i saw you mention about uh dancing at weddings and sort of that's where you learn to win over a crowd yeah i, I remember being so young you know and then everybody else would sit around and be like well I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to start crushing it. You know, I mean, at this time I had to be five or six, you know, I just remember that being okay. a thing and just, you know, everybody would start clapping, go Drew, go Drew, you know, and I'd just be out there like, Hey, probably look terrible, you know, acting like I was really doing something like, Whoa, the robot, you know? <laughs> um, but I just loved being in front of people and I loved making people, you know, smile and that energy that it brought and the energy that it made me feel. And, you know, now I definitely take, that's how I feel when I play live shows now is that. Yeah. Sure. And what memories does it bring back when I ask about the old karaoke machine? <laughs> definitely Backstreet Boys. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye, bye. You know, um, we got a lot of home videos. I mean, if my mom butt out those home videos, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so embarrassing in my PJs, no shirt on, you know, singing bye, bye, bye. Golly, what a dummy. Mom, if you are listening, release those videos today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Man. Oh, that's hilarious. And so when did the singing part start to take over? Like you mentioned, those talent shows were more about performing. And so when did singing and seeing that as something you loved and might want to chase, when did that start to take over for you? Well, my first time singing in public was first grade. It was at a Christmas program. And that was when I realized like, wow, people liked what I did there, you know? Um, and, and, but I never, like I said, I never put it all together. It's more about sports and basketball and baseball. And, um, these little talent shows were just all fun things I did on the side. Like it never really meant anything. I just, I loved performing and doing that stuff. I never thought I could make a career out of it. I never thought anything of that until when I was probably 16 or 17. And, uh, I was, my buddy, he played really, really good guitar. He was a great guitar musician all around banjo. He could play just anything with strings. Oh, okay. And, uh, his dad came up to us and we would always get together, me and him and family gatherings, his family gatherings are mine. And people are like, Hey, sing some of those songs. So we'd sing a couple of them and have fun. And I never forget his dad telling me that, Hey, Drew, if you picked up one of them guitars, you could, you boys could make a lot of money doing that. And I was like, what? We could actually make money doing this. And he said, yeah, you guys can, you know, get you a couple little gigs at the bar or whatever, you know, and, and figure it out. And, and that was a 
that was a hard thing because I was still singing in church and that meant a lot. Singing in church was a big deal. And right. Um, I led song worship and things like that. So when I started singing at the bars, I'll never forget that quartet that I was in. They kind of came to me and they're like, Hey, you got to make a decision if you're going to sing for the Lord, or if you're going to sing in these bars. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, that was a, uh, that was kind of a gut punch of thinking like, wow, maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. And I'll never forget my preacher. You know, he pulled me aside. And he's like, Drew, he said, uh, do you think Jesus was just in church or do you think he was out with the people? And I said, well, I think he's out with the people. And he said, well, then you got your answer, you know, go out there and be a light and shine who you are and be who you are. And, and that has always stuck with me too. Of, hey, I went and sung in these bars and I went and did this and I love it. And I put on a show and it's not about, you know, I try not to put off this persona of being anything bad. It's more like, hey, we're good. We're light. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun coming to our shows. And, um, but yeah, picking up that guitar was probably about 16 or 17. And then I, you know, moved here at 19 when we started after we played all the bars that we could play in Southern Illinois there. <laughs> and talk about the trip to Nashville that your mom surprised you with. I think that was when you were 18 and she surprised you with a trip to Nashville. Was that one of the sealers? Did that seal the deal? hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll never forget. I fell asleep and uh, she's like, Hey, we're going to go on a trip for your 18th birthday. And I was like, all right. So I fell asleep and I woke up and I was like, where are we at? She's like, well, we're almost in Nashville. We're, we're going to go watch Josh Turner. And I was like, what? And at that time he was my favorite artist. And, uh, you know, came down here, we were going to the wild horse saloon and it was just, I, I went and bought two cowboy hats, one that I could wear and one that he could sign. And I never wore a cowboy hat a day in my life. You know, I was <laughs> just being a poser. And, uh, I mean, obviously we had cows and stuff, but nobody wore cowboy hats where we came from. Right. Uh, we were, we were all cow and no hat, you know, <laughs> Um, well, we got down there. I bought these cowboy hats. I got to go backstage and meet Josh Turner and, uh, he signed my hat. And I remember being so shaken and nervous. I could not believe I was meeting Josh Turner. And, um, that kind of sealed the deal. I was going back and I was like, you know, I think I can do this. I watched him do that. And I watched his show and it was awesome. And I don't want to live with the moment of saying, what if, you know, what if I would have tried this? What, what if, you know, I, I think I could have done it. Instead, I want to look back and be like, hey, I tried. You know, I did everything that I could. And, and uh, you know, now here we are 10 years later and I'm, you know, playing music for a living and I write songs for a living and doing exactly what I dreamed that I wish I could have done back then. And you also had the chance to chase ball in college, I believe. You got a scholarship for ball. Now, why did you choose country music? Because there's also that side that says, what if? I go and play ball and that progresses into something. So what made you choose the country music lane? Well, you know, we had, we had scholarship opportunities and I turned them all down. And I think my mom wanted to punch me probably, you know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, she'd never do that. Um, but I think for me, I played sports my whole life. It was baseball. It was basketball. It was travel basketball all summer long and then go right into winter and I never really gave a full attention to music. And, you know, at this time, you know, I was pitching a lot. My arm already hurt. I, I knew that I, I just really didn't feel like I could make the majors pitching. And I felt like in music, I, I could. I felt right. like I could do it. And, and I had a great support system. And um, moving to Nashville at 19, 
my mom just dropping me off in a U-Haul and we carried up a couch, a bed and a TV, put it in my apartment and they left, you know, and I sat in that apartment and just bawled my eyes out, just like I did right here on this podcast, like a big girl. Um, it was scary, Brandon. It was scary, you know, like not knowing anybody really. Um, and being from a town of 550 people and going to a town of hundreds of thousands of people and not knowing how to drive, not knowing where things were at, not knowing how to drive anywhere without a GPS or like red lights or interstates or one ways and the possibility of getting in a wreck. And man, it was, it was a lot at first, but it was uh, obviously the right decision. And how long did it take you to overcome all of those thoughts, all of those challenges and feel comfortable within the city and feel comfortable that you were on the right path? Still figuring her out, bro. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I still think I still want to be out in the country. Like right now we're in Brentwood and I love the, the place that we're at. And we got a beautiful home here, but I just miss that life so much. I miss being able to just hop on my four wheeler and go in the back and grab my, have my fishing poles riding on the back with the tackle box and just go cast a couple lines right when the sun's going down, you know, like I miss that picture and I miss that life so much. Um, but obviously this is where I need to be. This is, how I got to make music. This is how, you know, you change people's lives and songs sometimes. And, and I feel like, you know, we've been very blessed to have a couple songs that have really impacted people. And if I wasn't here and I wasn't doing that and sacrificing those times being out in the country, I couldn't do that. And, and uh, so I really, I really am still trying to get acclimated. I feel like in the last couple of years, uh, I've slowly got acclimated, but I still, every day I miss, I miss my small town life. I miss the simplicity of just being able to go hop on a four wheeler, walk down a road that no cars will come down for, you know, miles and miles, not having a neighbor for the quarter mile. You couldn't throw a rock and hit a house, you know. Um, I do miss that life some. So I, I guess I have gotten used to it here, but most of the time I'm on the road a lot, you know. So I'm only here three or four days a week most of the time. And then I'm gone three or four days a week. And that kind of kept right. my head, you know, um, going, but, you know, having a wife now um, has definitely changed that. She's more like my home, you know, like when we're here, she, she really has made this house that we have a home. Like if it was just me, it'd be deer heads on the wall and it'd be a, couch, <laughs> a bed and a TV and that'd be it. And uh, she's really makes, makes this feel like home. And, um, uh, feels like, you know, we can finally raise a family here. I could see that and, and things like that. So it's, it's getting better. <laughs> and that's a house that you bought within the last couple of years, right? In Nashville. Yeah. We just bought this in the last couple of years. Um, and you know, that was a, that was a big moment. Yeah. That's what I was wondering if that's a moment that sort of shows you you're on the right path. Look at what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I was renting here for, I probably rent rented for about six or seven years in Nashville before I bought this house and purchasing a house, it was like, wow, I just bought this with music, you know, like who would have ever thought that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we haven't had our number ones yet. We haven't had our sellout tour yet, but I'm living in, I got a roof over my head and I have songs out there that people enjoy. And I bought a house with freaking music, Brennan, bought a house <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And that was kind of like one of those moments, like, all right, we're doing this now. You know, we, we got, we got this, we can figure this out. And her having my back all the time and supporting everything I do just adds a whole other extra layer to it. Yeah. And another thing I saw on your social is kind of 
mixed in with that is in 2018, you opened for Eric Church in Brownsville, Oregon, I believe. And you talked in that post about standing there beside the stage. You had been in Nashville, I think, for seven years, and you were standing beside the stage watching him perform knowing that just a couple hours earlier you had performed on that stage and the fact that just because you weren't headlining that you were still doing it you were still opening for eric church and you kind of have to stop and realize that and not always be thinking oh you know i'm not doing this i'm not doing that i need to get this i need to get that so is that a mindset that is difficult to keep even though you remind yourself every once in a while yeah i think as i get older um, that's easier to remind myself, you know, when I was younger in my mid twenties, um, that was super hard to remind myself. It was all go, go, go. I gotta be the biggest. I gotta be the best. Um, but you know, those kind of moments now you sit back and you think about them. You're like, Oh crap. Like, I know I need to get up this mountain, but every now and then look back and be like, look how far we've come. Like, look at that. Like we're up here, you know, we're doing this. And that was one of those moments that night I had the, at that night, I had the same band for about five or six years and we've all they were all from my hometown area. We were all but grew up about an hour away from each other. And, uh, you know, we all sit there. And at that time, you know, we, we played the Grand Ole Opry together. We toured in Australia together. We toured the world. And then we're sitting here and we're playing shows with Eric Church. And we all just sit there side stage. We all kind of just sit there and hugged each other like, wow, we're doing this. You know, we're, we're in freaking Oregon. And never thought we'd ever, I mean, we played in Oregon a bunch, but like at the time when we were growing up and we were playing little dive bars, just us and nobody knew who we were. And all of a sudden we're playing Oregon and we're playing a, a huge show with Eric church. It was one of those moments of like, wow, I can't believe this is really happening. We all had, you know, kind of one of those like, Oh crap moments. Like this is legit. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the Opry. Let's talk about your debut. You get to debut at the Opry and you're performing, and who should walk on stage but the guy that you had traveled to Nashville originally to see, Josh Turner, walks on stage to sing with you. What was yeah, that I, moment like? Well, you saw that. I just cried like a baby, pretty much what you just saw earlier in this podcast. Um, it was incredible. You know, I had no idea. I was singing one of his songs, and I kind of told that story to the Opry. Like, you know, I can't believe I'm here. I'm going to sing one of the songs that really, of an artist, that really drove me to come to Nashville. And his name's Josh Turner. Here's the song. And I start singing and about halfway through it, he comes out on stage and I just about fall over. I can't believe it, you know? And he's like, he starts singing. So I quit singing. Cause he's like way better than I am. And <laughs> so he's like over here and he's singing and I'm just taking it in. I'm like looking around and he's like, take it Drew. And I forget every freaking word. I have no <laughs> idea. And I'm just like, Hey, you know, and the crowd starts clapping and I'm, out and the band had to hurry up and end it but that was special you know it was almost like a full circle kind of moment of like wow you know that show when I was 18 and now here we are seven eight years later and I'm singing one of your songs at the Grand Ole Opry and I'm singing with him I'm singing with Josh Turner on the Grand Ole Opry like <laughs> how crazy is that you know and now I think we've we we played the Grand Ole Opry about 20 times we're getting ready oh, to play it, it again wow. on, uh, on February 16th we're going to play it again for the uh conservation aid it's me and craig morgan and tyler farr and a bunch of other good buddies and um that should be a great great show and it's like i think that's going to be our 20th time that night or oh 19th, wow which should be really special <laughs> that is awesome and you talk about you know not having the number ones and maybe not having that success but i saw that you just posted either today or yesterday 
that your video for She's Somebody's Daughter, the wedding version, has 10 million views on YouTube. Now, when you look at number ones, yes, that's awesome. But when you look at how your music is impacting people, is that better than those number ones? Yeah, I think I'd love a number one. Well, like, I don't, yeah, I mean, that's but, true. But also, I came here to impact people. You know, it's kind of what I talked about earlier. It's like I came here to write songs for a purpose, and, and that was to be a part of people's lives and and to make people happy, to make people feel something, to bring an emotion up that maybe they didn't even know that they have, or to tell a story that they didn't know that they lived, but when they hear that song, they live it. And you know, this this song, she's somebody's daughter that we've had out for the for the past eight months. You know, I just wrote this for my wife, and uh, to see it react the way that it has has been unbelievable like there's been so many moments where i just get on my tiktok or my instagram and i just scroll through of all the videos that people are making with this song and i cry and i see you know a dad with a daughter giving her away on her wedding day i've seen you know the daughter coming home from war and she walks in and her mom's holding on to her and bawling her eyes out with this song with my song in the background you know i've seen um you know dads holding their little girls and watching videos of them in their home videos when they were younger and their, and their dads are weeping to this song. And that's all I ever dreamed of doing was writing music like that. And now, you know, on TikTok, I think we're up to some around a hundred million views on, on that with that song. And then, wow. you know, over on YouTube to have the actual video of over 10 million people have heard that song. That's unbelievable to me. Like I just, I can't fathom that. Now, you know, I hope it keeps growing and, and we keep having other songs that do even bigger than that. But right now, this moment is like what we talked about earlier. I'm going to enjoy it. Like, this is exciting. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. You might only get one of these in your lifetime. Like, I don't know if I'll ever have this again. And that's something I'm never going to take for granted. Like, this is a special time. And I created this song for my wife that has now been in so many weddings around the world. Um, not just the country, you know, this song was number six in Sweden on Spotify chart, viral chart and Norway and trending in South Africa and like all these crazy things that I couldn't believe. And, uh, you know, it all comes down to real life. And that's what country music is, is just writing what you know. And, and I wrote this song because I met her dad and I just oh, okay. wanted to make sure that I was driving back and I was like, man, I can't screw this one up. Like I did all the others, you know, she's somebody's daughter. And if I break her heart, I'm breaking her mama's heart and her daddy's heart too. And uh, that's kind of where the inspiration of the song came. And you were married in 2021. Now your wife has been there for a bulk of this journey. So what has it been like to have her by your side throughout this and have her there to see you grow and see this journey kind of ramp up? It's awesome. You know, like she's been my biggest supporter on my bad days, on my good days. She's there. And on the days, even when I don't want her opinion, she's there. You know, it's like um, she has been so good to, you know, and that's one thing too. Like when I met her dad, I remember thinking, oh crap, like I'm a musician. You know, like that's the right. worst occupation to tell your, you know, you hope your future father-in-law is like, hi, sir, I'm, I'm going to take care of your daughter, but I am a, I'm a touring musician. <laughs> and it's like, well, this kid don't make any money and he's not with girls all the time, you know, and <laughs> right. like, I, I remember 
her just, you know, it never being a thing. Like it was just like a normal job and, and her supporting me and, and loving me. And, and, you know, you gotta have a, it's a special relationship to, to marry an artist. Um, it's not easy. You know, it's on our side, we're, you know, we constantly kind of need you to tell us that we're doing good and right. we need that, you know, that little bump of ego all the time. And she does that. She puts up with it. She puts up with like last night, we were out late watching a show and then she has to get up and go to work at 6am. And um, I'm gone, you know, last year I was gone 190 days out of the year and we got married last year, you right. know, and, and she does it like a champ, like it doesn't bother her. Obviously we miss each other all the time, but we got a good form of communication. We make sure we call each other before we go to sleep. And, but when we hit the hotel and all that stuff and um, keeps everybody in check and she's awesome, man. I, I would definitely, my life would definitely be a lot different now without her in it. And last year you signed with Sony music publishing. What did that mean? Yeah. You know, and I had a publishing deal for a while and then right when the pandemic hit, you know, at that time, I before, right before the pandemic hit, I had a record deal. I had a publishing deal. And, um, right when the pandemic hit, I lost both of those. Oh, and okay. The, the record company I was on decided to close its doors. Publishing company I was on got bought out. And so I was without anything for about a year and I was living on literally brand credit cards, you know, over right. COVID, I wasn't playing any shows, bought a brand new house you know, things were really good right before COVID. Then I lost the record deal and the publishing deal. And I was like, oh crap, what am I doing now? You know, knowing I'm going to marry this girl who's awesome and not telling her at the same time of like, Hey, everything that we're doing right now, I'm putting on the credit card, you know, like right. figuring life out. And then, you know, signing that, that publishing deal was awesome. Like, Hey, I have an income now, you know, like this means a lot. And not only that, but it's with one of the biggest publishing companies in the world yeah sony Sony music is the biggest in the world and having and you know them trusting trusting me to give them songs and them believing in my talent there's a guy over there named rusty gaston who's the ceo of of sony now and i've been working with rusty for seven years probably and he's just always been there and having his his belief in me is definitely like my ace in the hole you know like i couldn't imagine my life here in Nashville without him. He's just moved so many mountains and uh, I, I definitely owe a lot of, a lot of it to him. And I was going to ask you about Granger Smith. Talk to me about your relationship with him and how he helped support you, especially in the early days when you were in Nashville. Yeah. So my first tour ever was with Granger in 2016. And um, I went out on the road and opened about 31 dates with him, like consecutively right in a row. And I remember him setting me down and having lunch and, and talking before we'd play shows. And I just always appreciated and I learned so much of how he treated his band and how he ran his ship. And um, I remember he took me and my tour manager to, to, to supper one time right before the, the show that night. And, you know, we sat down. And he's like, so, Drew, he's like, how long you give yourself before you just like say, hey, this is I give up on this. Like, you know, I'm moving back home or whatever. Right. I said, you know, Granger, I said. I don't really have a, a limit. Like I'm in it. I'm not going anywhere. This is my life. Music's my life. I'm going to write songs. And I'm going to find a way to make that work. And I remember him kind of saying something along the lines of, well, we can be buddies in, you know, like if you were <laughs> going to tell me, Hey, I give this three years and I'm moving back. Um, I was probably just going to write you off. 
you know, and, and that, that, that stuck with me this whole time of like, Hey, cause you're talking Granger had, had records out in the nineties, you know, and a lot of people yeah. don't realize that he's been at this for many, many years. And, and just, you know, in the last, you know, seven, eight years, he's really had his success. But I mean, he had 10 to 15 years before that of putting out records and nobody knowing who he was. And he just stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it. And so that's just rings in my head all the time of just, just stick with it, you know, be present. And, and if there's anybody listening to this podcast that is a songwriter and artist, and you feel like you haven't hit what you want to hit yet, just stick with it, be present. 90% of this business, I really believe it's not all about talent all the time. It's like, are you showing up, you know, right. are you showing up to be part of the dance? And if, if you're showing up, you're putting the work in something good's going to come out of that eventually. And, and that was something I, that when he said that that day, that has just really stuck with me for the last, I mean, that was, you know, six years ago and I'm still talking about it today. And, and you know, me and Granger still have a, have a, have a pretty good relationship. And, you know, I texted him a while back and, you know, he started a new radio show now and he's doing after midnight, which is exciting. And I have a radio show out in LA at a go country, which is fun and do a podcast and stuff. So I was talking to him about it and, and he was like, you know, man, I'm, I'm going to start doing ministry. You know, I'm, I'm playing my shows on Saturday and I'm staying at local churches and doing a preaching on Sundays. And, right. and, and that's awesome. I think that's incredible, you know? And so just stuff like that, I just really look up to him as, as a father and as a, as a, as an art, as the art, as the artist that he is. Right. And as far as your music goes, uh, since 2019, I believe it's 11 singles. I think I counted since 2019 that you've released now in this day and age for an independent artist, is there any thought of packaging those or some of those into an EP or an album or for an independent artist? Is it just better to be putting out singles these days because that gains more attention for you? It just depends on how you want to do it. You know, I think there's some people that like the, the album and the having the thing, you know, and saying here it is. And for us, you know, I've just been waiting on a new record deal before I make a new album. You know, right. my goal has just been to put out songs and put out content with those songs every time as much as I can. Like if I find a song that I love, get in the studio, record it, make a video, make content, talk about it for three months. Next one. You know, that's kind of right. how I've been building my business for the last couple of years is that way. After I got out of my record deal, um, this has been the way I've been running my ship and that's really worked for me. And there's some artists, I have some friends, Adam Sanders is one of them. And, and we talk about this all the time. He put out an album last year that got a lot of awesome streams. And then it got me like, he's like, well, maybe I should put out an album. I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough. And I'm just one of those people. I, I've never been a fan of putting out singles and then putting an album together of all the singles that I've already put out. And been like, here, fans, you know, here's an album. And then they're like, why am I listening to this? It's all right. the songs I already have. You know, you just put them together and called it something. You know, that's right. that seems kind of stupid to me. It always has. Like, I've never been a fan of that, even when somebody puts out a record. I mean, one or two, that's different. You know, you yeah. put a single out or a couple singles and here comes a full album. And so, you know, right now we're in the process. We took off all of January. I've been in the studio. I've been writing every day. And, you know, hopefully this year have some sort of EP or something that I can put out as a collection of songs and maybe have a handful of new ones that nobody's heard yet. Right. And I saw you teasing, I think it's small town little, is that the name of the yeah. track that you're teasing? Are we going to see that? 
Yep. Yep. We're definitely going to see that. You know, I'm in the process right now working with a producer and um, he's a new producer I've never worked with before. His name's Chris Stefano, and he's done amazing things and has, you know, we're talking, worked with Carrie Underwood and did the last Chris Young record. And um, he's an absolute, absolutely crazy, talented, great guy. And so we've been working together and this is our first time ever doing so. And so we're just figuring that out, you know, like, Hey, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Hey, let's, let's do this. And we do that. And then we're like, okay, let's change this. Let's change that. And so we're in the process of changing a few things, but we're getting really close. And I think we can expect that song probably pretty soon is what I'd hope. Is that an interesting balance these days with the uh, attention span that people have in teasing the song, but then not waiting too long to get it out so that they lose interest? It's definitely, it's definitely a balancing act. And, and you know, what, what the good thing is, is that they, they haven't heard it, all of it, you know, so like teasing a song, building up that, you know, like, oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. When's it coming? You know, that's a good thing in our side. Like we want people to be excited about it coming. We don't want to wait six months, yeah. you know, but if we're talking like a month or two, that's okay. Like if we, if we get out further than that, that becomes a problem. You know, right. because it's like people are waiting, people are waiting when you're not giving it to them. Like, what the freaking heck? Like, what is going on? So, you know, I think um, we'll definitely have this out in a month or two, um, depending on, you know, things in our world and how the how the music is, the creative process is going on. Because I, you know, obviously I put this demo out and I love it, but also I don't want to put out a product that I'm not proud of, you know, yes, so it's for sure. a big pro process of making sure that for me to put something out. I have to love every, every little second of it. And if I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure it's right. And that's something I've learned over the last, you know, I made my first record and there was a lot of songs on there that I liked. And there were some that I didn't, I just did it because so-and-so told me to. And um, that's not happening anymore. Like I, I'm only going to put like records, the songs that I love, and I'm going to make sure that I love every bit of it or I'm not going to put it out. And so that's where we're at and our recording process of this song is making sure that it's correct. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Drew for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out all of his music wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to visit our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Thanks once again so much for listening and we will see you next time on Country Music Made Me. <laughs>